Hello, everybody. This is a supplemental podcast that is part of a series we began in the last message, uh, a series called Deeply Satisfied. Uh, my name is Norton, and what we are talking about is our digital devices, our smartphones, our laptops, our tablets, uh, even our smart TVs, gaming devices, and their place in our lives. Um, but in a sense, it's bigger than that. It's This series isn't just about our digital devices or our smartphones. It's more about this idea that all of us as human beings were made by God with this um, longing for deep satisfaction in life. And that few of us are experiencing it. And, and we're having this growing awareness over the last several years, maybe over the last decade or so, for a lot of us, that our digital devices are actually playing a detrimental role in us experiencing the kind of satisfaction that we desire in our lives. So that's what this series is about. Um, if for some reason you're tuning into this message or this podcast and you didn't hear the last message, which would have been the first in this whole series, um, I would encourage you to just stop right now, go back and listen uh, to that first message because essentially today in this supplemental podcast, I want to build on what we introduced and what we talked about there. So in this podcast, I just want to ask a very simple question. Is the word addiction the right word to use here when we talk about our use of digital devices in our lives and our heavy dependence on them. In other words, are some of us, perhaps many of us, perhaps most of us, actually addicted to our digital devices? Because we are on our phones a lot, right? I gave some statistics in the last message message. Um, most of us are on our phones, just our phones, our smartphones, about four and a half hours a day looking at the screen, literally looking at it. Um, add to that TV and other things, and some of us are on our phones and our smart devices and our TVs and our laptops and our tablets seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day. I talked to somebody right after the worship service, after the last message. And they said their recent, they checked their recent time and they're on, they were on their um, phone 11 hours uh, that day. And um, so the question I, I just want to step back and ask is, are we actually, if we're on our devices a lot, that much, every single day, would it be right to say we are addicted? That's this, you know, the big A word. Are we addicted to our digital devices. Now, I introduced that term addiction very cautiously um, because it's a really strong word. It's a really loaded word, right? It's, it's loaded because um, it used to just be associated with substance abuse, right? Alcohol abuse or drug abuse. Um, these are the most common ways in the past that people have thought about this idea of addiction, um, and uh, usually things that you were addicted to were um, vices, 
that um, might even be considered sort of immoral by society at large, or they were associated with detrimental or abusive or destructive uh, consequences in our lives, right? And the idea of potentially being addicted to a substance like drugs or alcohol, it's not a new idea, right? This is not something that is new, (laughs) Uh, in the 21st or even in the 20th century. In fact, um, the Bible talks a lot. It doesn't use the actual word addiction the way we use it, but it, it describes it in exactly the ways we understand addiction today. In fact, listen to this passage. This is from the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 23, and it describes, well, just listen to it. Chapter 23, starting in verse 29, says, "Who?" this is from the um, New Living Translation, who has anguish? Who has sorrow? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. Don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, how smoothly it goes down. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. You will see hallucinations and you will say crazy things. You will stagger like a sailor tossed at sea, clinging to a swaying mast. And you will say, they hit me but I didn't feel it. I didn't even know it when they beat me up. When will I wake up so I can look for another drink? Um, this is a description of somebody strung out on alcohol and how they're always going to the taverns and how they're enticed by the, the lure of another drink, but how it ends up biting them like a snake. They end up seeing things or believing things or thinking things that are crazy And it's almost like at the end of the night or the next morning, they feel beaten up, right? Um, And then it it concludes with this idea of when can I wake up, right, from this stupor, from this hungover state, from feeling like I'm beaten up by the alcohol that I drank? When can I wake up so that what? So that I can look for another drink. There's this yearning by this person who is addicted to this substance to keep consuming the substance even though it's destroying their life. This is the picture of addiction, right? Um, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians about not getting drunk with wine, but instead being filled on something different, being filled with the Holy Spirit. So um, this this idea of addiction, it goes way, way, way back, right? There's all kinds of descriptions of it in the ancient world. And even in our own world, in our own culture, it's usually associated with alcohol or with drug abuse. And because of that, there's a stigma to it. I mean, nobody wants to be accused of being addicted to something. Uh, We might joke about it from time to time, and this um, therapeutic language has entered our culture a lot in the last 20 or 30 years. Like, I'm addicted to donuts, right? Or, Or I'm addicted to coffee, Um, But in all seriousness, if someone suggests that we're actually or truly addicted to something, 
we usually immediately get defensive or, or, or we or reject that, that suggestion or, or we don't like it, right? In fact, I've seen this a lot when it comes to talking about device use. Uh, it seemed like there are ways that we've joked about it. I'm addicted to my phone. I'm addicted to Facebook or whatever. But when we actually take that thought seriously and begin talking about it and begin asking the question, am I actually addicted? There's usually um, uh, a pushback. There's, there's usually this sense that I don't want to think about that or entertain that or consider that that could actually be true. So with all that in mind, I do uh, enter this discussion tentatively, but I, I think it's important to ask, is the framework of addiction useful? Do we need to be more honest? Are the ways that we understand addiction applicable to our device use? So I want to spend a few minutes unpacking that here in this podcast today. Let's start with a definition of addiction um, here's a definition. This comes from an organization, Psychology uh, Today, um, psychologists. This is pretty widely accepted in the medical and psychological field. Here's the exact uh, definition they gave taken straight from their website. A person with an addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity despite detrimental consequences. So a person with addiction uses a substance or engages in a behavior for which the rewarding effects provide a compelling incentive to repeat the activity despite detrimental consequences. So let's walk through this slowly. Um, there's two kinds of addictions. It says at the very beginning, there's substance addiction. That's the one that we're most familiar with. And that's the one that probably 30 or 40 or 50 years ago would have been the only kind of addiction people talked about. But then it says there's also behavioral addiction. Someone who's addicted could be using a substance or they could be engaging in a behavior. So a substance addiction would be, like we said already, alcohol addiction, um, nicotine addiction, um, opioids, right? Something like that. Um, and then a behavioral addiction. There's lots of behaviors that could fall under this. Uh, a common and obvious one would be gambling. Someone that has uh, an obsessive gambling addiction. Uh, there's not a substance there. They're not actually consuming a chemical. Um, they're engaging in a behavior. Now, we know that substance addiction um, has a strong effect on you because it chemically alters your brain. You're consuming a chemical or a substance that actually is making chemical changes in your brain and in your body, and um, that produces uh, all sorts of, of things. Um, but we also now know that there are certain behaviors and that when we do these behaviors repeatedly, those behaviors can also produce chemical changes. Um, one of the most common is dopamine release, right? And there's been all kinds of studies on what dopamine release does in our bodies and in our brains. And these neurological effects of these chemical changes produced by behaviors that we engage in 
oftentimes have the same sort of effects that chemical addictions or substance use has, which is why behavioral addictions now can be described as being almost as or as powerful and carrying the same consequences as substance addictions. All right? So there's substance addictions and there are behavioral addictions. Um, one uh, is uh, directly affecting the chemicals in your body. The other is having effects that are very similar to chemical addictions. It's just often described differently as a behavioral addiction. Okay? So there's these two types of addictions. And then the uh, definition goes on to say that there's a couple of elements or keys to what addiction is. Uh, first, the substance or behavior has a rewarding effect that provides a compelling incentive to repeat the activity. So for drugs, this is easy, right? When you take certain drugs, you get high. You feel good. Uh, it numbs your pain, right? So this is a rewarding effect, this feeling of euphoria or a feeling of your pain being gone or a feeling of uh, happiness, right? Um, that's the rewarding effect that provides a compelling incentive to keep doing it, right? If it felt really good last night, then I want to do it again because I want to feel good again tonight. If it numbed the pain I was feeling yesterday, then I want to numb the pain again today. Um, for a behavioral addiction, let's take gambling, for instance. Um, gambling has rewarding effects as well. Um, it's competitive, if you like competition, it's fun because you're engaging in competition. There's hits of adrenaline that happen when you gamble because you're taking a risk. There might be hits of dopamine. You're taking this risk and then you're waiting to see if your risk paid off, right? There's that feeling maybe of being more alive when you take a risk and when there's a potential uh, danger in taking that risk. You might lose a whole bunch of money. You might also win a whole bunch of money. And that's that's exciting. Um and if you do win, or when you do win, there's clearly a reward. There's a financial gain there. So these behaviors or these substances have a rewarding effect that provides a compelling incentive to keep repeating the activity or the use. And then the other key to addiction is that it also carries with it detrimental consequences, right? There's always detrimental consequences. But... You're hooked on the reward. That's, that's the relationship here. You're hooked on the possible reward. And so you keep using the substance or you keep engaging in the behavior despite the fact that it has detrimental consequences in your life. And we all know how this works, right? Um, because uh, addiction... Um, can actually change, as scientists are describing, it can change the executive function in your brain such that the part of your brain that is aware of the detriments and is aware of the consequences and is aware of the harmful side effects is actually numbed or changed or tuned out. The part of your brain that's able to make good, logical, rational choices is tuned out 
by the chemical process or by the behavioral addiction or by the incentivized reward. And so that's why you keep doing it. It's because you can't see the detrimental effects. It's because you're not aware of the detrimental effects. It's because you're not able to make rational, logical decisions about the detrimental effects. This is why... um, When someone's addicted to alcohol and it's ruining their life, all of their friends can see it. All of their friends are aware of it. And all of their friends are saying, this is not rational. This is not logical. You keep doing this thing and it's destroying your life. Why? But the person who's addicted, their brain and their body has been rewired such that they are not fully aware of the true consequences that it's having in their life and or they are not able to do anything about it, right? And that is just a psychological or scientific or medical description of Proverbs 23, right? The person who spends long hours in the tavern trying out new drinks, right? It's sparkly, it's smooth, it goes down smoothly, but in the end, it's like a poisonous snake that's biting them back, right? And they feel beaten up, but they can't do anything about it. Proverbs even says, you see hallucinations, you begin to say and think crazy things, right? Because you're not in your right mind anymore when you're addicted to alcohol, right? Not only are you drunk, but you're not able and capable to make good decisions. In fact, you wake up the next day feeling beaten up and you want more of it. This is how addiction works. And so if there is a substance that you consume regularly, or remember, if there is a behavior that you engage in repeatedly over and over and over, and this behavior has detrimental consequences in your life, but you keep doing it because the reward that you have experienced has incentivized you to keep doing it such that you're not really aware of the detrimental consequences or you're not able to do anything about the detrimental consequences, then addiction is the appropriate word to use to describe this. Okay? Let me add a few more nuances and observations to this uh, psychological or, or medical definition of addiction. I think the word repeated is important in this definition, right? Because when someone is addicted to a substance or a behavior, it's something that they are regularly doing. It's something they consistently do. They're doing it on a repeated basis. They cannot stay away from the thing that they are consuming or the thing that they are doing. Now, that does not mean, to go back to the alcohol image, that does not mean that you have to be a terrible drunk to be addicted to alcohol. If you are someone who needs a glass of wine every single night when you come home. You need a couple of beers. You need a couple of shots of whiskey in order to get through the day, 
in order to decompress from work, in order to numb yourself or distract yourself from all the things that you had to deal with, you might be addicted. You're not getting drunk every night. You're not going out and 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 dis, you know destroying your life because you're drop dead drunk, right? You might be addicted. Now, we, we would have to talk about whether there are detrimental effects in your life if you're drinking one glass of wine a night. Maybe there are, maybe there are not. But if it's really hard for you to not have that glass of wine every night, not have those couple of beers, right? If you were challenged to take a break from that for a week, and it would be really hard for you to take a break from that, if you would suddenly turn into a mean and grumpy person, if it would change you because you're not doing the thing that you have gotten so used to doing that you kind of have to do every single night, well, then you're probably addicted. (laughs) Uh, We could probably say the same thing about caffeine or coffee. That's one that hits a little closer to home, right? If you have to have that cup of coffee or those three cups of coffee every single morning, if your body has become depend, chemically dependent upon it, and if, if, if you're to the point where you're going somewhere else and you're not going to have your coffee and so you're going to carry your pour over and your French press and you're going to have your coffee and like you're going to do the whole thing to make sure that you have that thing every single morning and if you go without it, you're going to be really grumpy and mean and it's going to change you. I mean, we can joke about being addicted to coffee or caffeine, but it's probably the right diagnosis. If it's reached that level in your life, then addiction might be the right term or category to use. Um, Another observation, people who are addicted to a substance or a behavior typically think they could stay away from the thing if they wanted to, they just don't want to, right? Right? I mean, if I wanted to not drink coffee for a couple of weeks, I could. If I wanted to stop drinking a couple of beers every night when I come home from work, I could. If I wanted to stop gambling, I really could. I just don't want to. That's why I don't stop. That's why I keep doing it. I just don't, I don't want to. And what's going on is that you think you have the power to not do the thing and you're just choosing not to use that power. You think you have control and that you could change your habits if you really wanted to. You just don't want to. (laughs) Um, A good example of of this might be if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been involved in church for very long... And you have um, heard of or aware of or have participated in this season called Lent. Lent is this time in the spring where people are encouraged to give something up for Lent for 40 days, right? And um, Lent is basically a way of simply asking the question, are there any things in my life that I have developed an unhealthy dependence upon that if I gave up for 40 days, it would be A, healthy, because I would be saying no to something that I've become dependent upon. But there's also a very positive aspect for it. It's not just saying no. It's about making space in my life. Perhaps there's this thing that I've become dependent upon or that takes up a lot of time. And if I removed it for 40 days, it would make space in my life to pursue more healthy things, to maybe pursue uh, what God wants or desires 
or wants to do in my life. It would give me, it would remove that thing so that I could focus on something else. Now, if you have ever had this experience where you've had this urge or this thought during Lent, maybe I should give up X and you've immediately ruled it out because you don't want to, like I don't really want to, then there's a question of, is it you don't want to, or is it because it would be too hard to give up X? Do you really have the power to give up X? Do you really have the control to give up X? If you're saying immediately, well, yeah, I could. I mean, I could give that thing up. I just don't really want to. (laughs) I'm not feeling called to do that. That would be too hard. That would be too difficult. I don't, you know, that's a good sort of indication that we need to be wrestling with these kinds of things. Now, again, addiction might be too strong of a word to use when we come to Lent, right? I don't want it to be associated with that, but it's an indication of are there things that we have become somewhat dependent and reliant upon, and we think we have the power to give them up, we think we have control over them, but it would actually be a lot harder than we want. And we're rationalizing it by saying, I just don't want to. That's something we need to consider. Another observation, um, I already mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. Um, People, myself included, I get pretty defensive pretty quickly if you point out something I might be addicted to. That is a trait of addiction. Now, some of that could just be pride and stubbornness, right? Nobody likes anybody else telling them what to do. Nobody likes anyone else criticizing something in their life. No one likes anyone else potentially pointing out or suggesting a vice that I might have, right? So some defensiveness is expected if anyone ever suggests, you know, you do that thing a lot. Are you sure you're not addicted to that, right? I'm I'm immediately going to get defensive. Um, But if somebody points out that I have a temper, and then I lost my temper, and I know I have a temper, I usually don't get super defensive about it. I usually feel more ashamed or more guilty about it because they just saw this vice that I know I have, right? Or if somebody points out I'm not very patient, and I know I'm not very patient, I might not like it, but I'm not going to deny it, right? Or if I'm somebody who avoids conflict, and for, again, another time, I avoided conflict, and somebody kind of points it out, I might not like it, I might have a response to them, but I might not get really defensive because deep down I know I am someone who avoids conflict. But a person who is addicted to a substance or to a behavior has typically convinced themselves it is not a problem. That whatever they are doing in their life is not actually detrimental, that I'm 100% in control of this, right? And so if somebody points it out, there's usually a strong defensiveness to push back. Uh, One more observation. When someone is addicted to a substance or a behavior, small changes usually make no difference. Typically, if someone is truly addicted to a substance or behavior, they're not going to address it by making small or incremental changes. In fact, the word that we almost always use is intervention, right? They need a significant 
intervention if real change is going to take place. All right? So with all that in mind, let's come back to the question. Is addiction a valid or useful understanding of how some of us use our digital devices? And I think, and I'm not alone on this, virtually every scientist, um, person that specializes in neurology and the neurobiological effects of what's happening in our brain, virtually every psychologist and every psychiatrist Virtually everyone with expertise in addiction agrees now that yes, addiction to our digital devices is real and that many of us are probably more addicted than we think. I mean, just go down the checklist of what addiction is, right? Is uh, using our digital devices connected to a behavior or a substance? Yes, it's a behavior. Is it a repeated, consistent, regular behavior that we engage in? Of course. In fact, using our digital devices is probably more repeated than any other addiction you could think of. I mean, substitute anything else in there. If I woke up in the morning and within 10 or 15 minutes, I said, I need to have a shot of whiskey the way that most of us wake up in the morning and need to look at our phone pretty quickly to see if we missed anything, what the news is today, what somebody texted us back, checking Facebook, check whatever it is, right? If any insert shot of whiskey in there, if any of us started that 10 or 15 minutes after we wake up and then just took sips of whiskey all day long, we would say that consistent, regular, repeated, moment-by-moment use is the most obvious indication that a person might be addicted to something. Uh, Does using our digital devices have a rewarding effect that provides an incentive to keep using them? Of course, right? Uh, TikTok videos are funny, You watch them and they make you laugh. YouTube videos are distracting. You watch them and you don't think about all of the things you have to do. You're distracted and you get to escape and it's fun for a few minutes. Um, News websites, they charge up and stimulate our emotions. Oftentimes they stoke fear, which should not be rewarding, but it is, right? When you see something that suddenly you're afraid of, then you want to know, are there other things that I need to be aware of that I'm afraid of? And do I need to do anything about it? It's one of the reasons we keep coming back to news sites, even though so much of the news is bad and fear-inducing. It has this rewarding effect that provides an incentive for us to keep coming back and looking at it. Um, Instagram makes us feel good, right? When we've posted something on Instagram and we go back and we see a bunch of likes, or we see a bunch of people who have made comments, that makes us feel good. People care about what's going on in our lives. Same with Facebook, same with Twitter, same with any of those things. Even if you're not on those things, checking text messages and having people text you back helps you to know that somebody cares, right? That There's a rewarding effect there that makes me want to keep checking. Has anyone texted me in the last five minutes, right? Uh, TV shows are entertaining, 
They entertain us. There is a rewarding effect there. They help us escape the monotony of our lives. They help us escape the the, the difficulties that we're facing in our lives. Um, constant scrolling on our computers or on our phones is stimulating. In fact, you, you might even say it's overstimulating. But here's the deal. Our brains have been rewired in the last 20 to 30 years to be overstimulated, right? To process lots of images and lots of messages coming at us quickly. That wasn't the case 40 or 50 years ago, but because of the way TV and now the internet and now surfing and now our smartphone use works, we are overstimulated so much so that our lives and our minds have been rewired so that when we don't get a lot of images and links and videos and messages and information coming at us quickly, it feels boring. It feels like we're missing something. We're, our, our brains are somehow rewarded when we get all of these things stimulating us, right? So I, I could go on and on and on. But there's a reason that we constantly check our phone. It has some sort of rewarding effect that keeps us coming back and checking it and looking at it all the time. Uh, Is our use of digital devices detrimental in our lives? (laughs) Yes. Lots of statistics about this. Um, We will unpack this more in this series, I mentioned this in the last message, but it is so conclusive now that so much of our anxiety that we're experiencing, not all, but the increased anxiety that we're experiencing, the increased depression, the increased mental and emotional health issues, the increased loneliness is directly correlated to the amount of time we have increased on our digital devices. We'll unpack more of this as we go forward. Now, one of the challenges with digital devices um, is that we can quickly point out all of the benefits, right? And so when we start talking about the detriments, it's easy to say, yes, I understand that it makes me distracted. Yes, I understand this, this, and this, and it could make me more anxious, but there's also lots of detriment. I mean, there's also lots of benefits. I can stay more connected to my friends. I know what's going on in the world. And we can just list all sorts of things. And this is one thing that's different from other addictions. You can't list a lot of benefits to using cocaine regularly, right? There's not a lot of benefits you can list to being addicted to alcohol. There's not a lot of benefits you can list to gambling, There's not a lot of benefits you can list to smoking cigarettes and being addicted to nicotine, right? There's also a negative stigma still associated with many of these things, but devices are different. There's no negative stigma and they can do amazing things, right? We all know the power and the benefits of devices. And so that's why it's really hard to come to grips with the unhealthy detriments We know there are detriments, but we tend to often outweigh them with the benefits. And so we don't actually see the detriments realistically. Uh, Another question, do we get defensive if someone suggests we're on our phones too much? Yes, check. I always do. 
If I'm on my phone and someone's like, hey, can you pay attention to me? Um, I know they're right, but I don't like being told that. I want to immediately be like, well, I was on it because I had to check this or because there was something really important. Or like, I, I immediately go into defensive mode to offer a really good explanation for why I've been staring at my phone the last five minutes and not really paying attention to them. We get defensive, right? Do we think we could also stay away from our devices if we wanted to, but we just don't want to? Yes, right? Uh, one more question. Do small changes make a difference? Not really. And this is why I think we have to talk about this. Because I've talked to more and more people who say, I know I'm on my phone. I know I watch too much TV. I know I'm just too digitally you know, bombarded. And I would like to make some changes, but I can't. I don't know how to. I've tried. I've tried all kinds of hacks. I've tried turning notifications off. I've tried setting aside no screen times during the day. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. And all of the things that we do will help slightly for a couple of days. (laughs) But they rarely change our overall relationship and dependence on and use of digital devices. So many of us are saying, despite the little life hacks I've tried, I am as dependent and reliant and I use my digital devices as much as I ever have before. I would suggest that we need to start being more honest about using the A word. I know we don't like it. I don't like it. I know it's easy to be defensive. I know it's easy for me to rationalize in my own mind why I have to use my devices all the time, why it's so important, why it's necessary, why it's normal, why it's not as detrimental as people maybe suggest. I would go as so far as to say that I think our smartphone or our digital device addictions might be one of the most detrimental behavioral addictions that we are all facing. Because it doesn't have a moral stigma connected to it the way other substances do. Because our devices can be helpful tools. Because we live in a world where we are somewhat dependent on our devices. Also because everyone uses digital devices. Everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has a computer. Almost everyone watches streaming TV regularly, right? And that's different than almost every other thing that we can be addicted to. I mean, take gambling. About 20% of Americans gambled in the last year. Now, that number is growing quickly, and my hunch is this is going to become a significant problem in future years because of the way laws have changed and because it's becoming more socially acceptable. But it is still in the minority. If you gamble, you are engaging in a behavior that is different from most other people you know. You are still in the significant minority. Or think about smoking. Right now, about 10% of people smoke. At the highest point in U.S. history in the 1950s, when the dangers of smoking were not fully realized by people, at the very highest point, approximately 45% of adults smoked. Even at that time, if you smoked... Even if you were unaware of the detrimental effects of nicotine and it was the 1950s, you were still in the minority. Smoking 
even at that time, though it was socially accepted, was still not pervasive. It was not something everyone did. But today, everybody uses digital devices. Can you think of many or any people in your life who do not have a smartphone? I mean, if you are in... (laughs) the middle class, the upper class, or even the upper lower class, everyone you know has a smartphone. Everyone you know engages their digital devices regularly, if not significantly. If we have become addicted, if our addiction has become normalized and acceptable, it will be exceptionally difficult for any of us to see it or admit it because it is so normal. And if you came to the conclusion that maybe I am addicted and maybe I should do something about it, then doing something about it is going to be incredibly hard because it's everywhere, because everyone uses our devices Because if you decided you wanted to cut yourself off from your phone, and I'm not saying that you have to do that, but let's say you decided you wanted to cut yourself off from your phone, it would be really, really hard. It's actually easier to cut yourself off from drugs or from gambling than it is to cut yourself off from your phone. Even if you wanted to cut yourself off, let's say there was an app you wanted to cut yourself off from. I want to get off Snapchat or Instagram. If all your friends are using Instagram or Snapchat, and if that has become the dominant way that you communicate with them and know what's going on in their lives, it's going to be really, really hard. And think about this. If you wanted to cut yourself off from your phone, it's always in your pocket. How would you stop yourself from using your phone significantly If you're always carrying it, if you always have it, if you have to use it in so many other ways, and if it's always in your pocket, inches from your hand, right? Imagine if an alcoholic was trying to cut themselves off from alcohol and they had to carry a flask of whiskey in their pocket all day long. They could never do it. And yet here we are with these incredible devices, recognizing maybe we need to figure out a way to reduce our dependence or our use or our addiction on them. And short of getting rid of the entire thing, it's going to be very, very hard to reduce our dependence and our reliance on them. That's why I think This is going to be an addiction and a challenge that's unlike any other addiction that we've had to wrestle with. Now, let me wrap up. As I said in the first message, uh, I'm not suggesting and the answer to all of this is not going to be that you have to get rid of your phone or you have to get rid of your TV, right? And I'm cautious about using this addiction language because I know it's strong and I know it's loaded, but I don't think we can ignore it either. We have to be honest about it. We have to wrestle with it. We have to look look at the data. And if there's something inside of me that's pushing back really hard, that's saying, I don't really want to consider this. I don't want to look in the data. I think this is being overdone. I don't think this applies to me. If there's something inside of me that's saying that, then I need to be honest about the reality that that's exactly what most people who are addicted 
to a behavior or to a substance are going to feel when that behavior or that substance is brought to light. All right. Now, that's a lot to think about. In the next message, uh, we're going to come at this from a very different angle. And I'm going to provide a very different metaphor. We won't talk about addiction, but I want to provide a very different metaphor that might be more helpful in explaining to all of us what our digital devices are doing in our lives and how we might begin to find their proper place in our lives. So I hope you'll listen and tune in to that next message.